Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome to Truth Jihad Audio Visual. I'm Kevin Barrett back after a two and a half week vacation during which I moved from the former Democratic Republic of the United States of America to the Kingdom of Morocco, where I am now happily installed and the internet got switched on this morning, which is why I'm back at work with a first time ever Truth Jihad Audio Visual guest, KV Ramani. He is a former United Nations economist and a somewhat disillusioned one. We could perhaps almost call him a whistleblower, but some people prefer not to be called that. In any case, he's written some very interesting stuff, including a new article that Josh Middlebrook published, and it's on the topic of artificial intelligence. And K.B. Romani is a bit of a skeptic about that entire concept. So let's get into it. Welcome. K.B. Romani, it's good to have you. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, it's a pleasure for me, too, as the first time uh, here on your uh, podcast. Let me uh, begin by saying I'm not a skeptic uh, of artificial intelligence as such. Uh, I view I'm, a, I'm straddling a fence in a way. Uh, it has great potential remarkable, uh, astounding, in fact, possibilities for the future. But it has great danger. Uh, and so I am terribly apprehensive on one hand uh, whether it will be abused. And uh, the way things are going in the world, if, uh, it's like Murphy's Law, I guess. Uh, if something uh, can go wrong, it, it will go wrong. Uh, that's how it is. Uh, so all the negative uses of uh, artificial intelligence are getting more and more visible. While alongside, we also see the positive benefits of artificial intelligence in many fields, such as the medical field is the most prominent that comes to my mind, uh, where remarkable inventions are being uh, announced. Uh, we read about them. So yes, I am uh, hopeful as well as fearful. The article I wrote recently, where I am uh, outright skeptic, that was specific to chat GPT and this generative uh, artificial intelligence that we are being bombarded with. On that, of course, uh, my views are uh, very clear. Uh, I, I am a skeptic simply because I don't think generative artificial intelligence is intelligent at all. Uh, I basically think it aggregates. It is a very um, sweeping coverage of the views on the internet and it picks on the majority views. Uh, and on any any issue that offers a modicum of controversy uh, or there are split opinions uh, between uh, uh, the traditional orthodoxy and people who think differently, uh, you will find that... Uh, the generative AI programs uh, like ChatGPT will 
always side with the majority. So it's basically a, a, a vocalization of majority opinion. That is uh, how I see generative artificial intelligence. And that doesn't get you anywhere because today the world is saturated or uh, overwhelmed by majority views. And a lot of those majority views uh, acquire prominence or acquire a, a lot of mass uh, by the very phenomenon of artificial intelligence. There are these chat bots and uh, bots that can even write uh, uh, journal articles. Uh, many times we listen to YouTube uh, videos and we know from the voice uh, the total lack of uh, human emotions. It's basically a robotic voice. I mean, these are the ones that are creating a mass for the majority opinion, which we can also call mainstream narratives uh, on most of the controversial issues of our times. So I would say artificial intelligence gathers all the, the chat GPT or the generative artificial intelligence gathers all this mass. A lot of it is self-created by uh, other forms of artificial intelligence built for that purpose repeating a certain uh, certain thinking, certain argument or certain facts, uh, which may not be facts. And then you put them all together and then sort of uh, stubbornly insist that is the only truth and uh, no other truth can prevail. So as a person of the, the founder of Truth Jihad, you would assume, uh, I would assume you know how difficult it is, how elusive truth could be when you're... Uh, pitted against an, an opponent or adversary uh, who insists that weight of numbers is all that matters in discovering the truth. So that is basically the kernel of my skepticism. Yes, and, and I agree completely. Uh, I have a few questions about some of the details, including the question of whether what we're facing is really majority opinion or uh, are they using algorithms to tweak and even construct majority opinion. And to kind of get a hold on that concept, I'll mention that my experience in the 9-11 truth movement, which was a classic case of people with a minority opinion arguing against a majority uh, that was created and constructed by the powers to be, that and then that minority opinion picked up a lot of steam. And by about 2006, I would say, it appeared using the search engines that were available at that time, Google, of course, being the obvious leader, that the truth movement had reached the point that we were the crushing majority opinion among anybody talking about these issues on the Internet. If you Googled anything having to do with 9-11, all you got for the first pages and pages of results were 9-11 truth things. And so in that case, the, the majority opinion on the internet was clearly supportive of the 9-11 truth movement. And yet then, uh, beginning in sort of around 20, 20, between 2010 and 2015, and then really picking up steam in 2016, the Google engineers changed the search engine, uh, changed their algorithms, to make sure that even if everybody on the internet talking about 9-11 was a 9-11 truther, that all of that would be completely suppressed and that somebody you know, way, 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 way down the list 
who was parroting the orthodox narrative would be number one. So I'm wondering whether they're not doing the same thing with their generative AI. Well, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I tend uh, to draw the precise parallels that you just drew between Google search and generative uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, for the simple reason, uh, Google did it in a rather clumsy way. Google search does it uh, in a very clumsy way that it is all too apparent. You run a search page uh, and you could, you know, you may have about uh, 15 or 20 entries listed on page one. And by the time you get to the non-majority uh, information, uh, whether it is 9-11 or whether it is the uh, COVID uh, hoax uh, or what uh, people like you and I would strongly suspect is not the truth. Or if we, even if there is a, an element of truth, it is not all of the truth. Uh, you can sort of say it is facts. There are facts uh, and there are facts. Uh, you have to go to page three or page four till you get your first entry, uh, which remotely resembles an opinion that strays from the majority. That is how Google search algorithms were set up initially. Then it became absolutely blatant. Uh, you, you first had a whole lot of commercial sponsors. Uh, hit you. you had to struggle to even find genuine news uh, from sponsored news. So half, the, half of page one went like that. Now, if you look at uh, chat GPT, uh, it is not so blatant. It's it's far too subtle. Uh, but the same algorithms, uh, the same engines are driving it. Uh, and it is not content uh, with just doing a search. What it is really doing is gather them, aggregate them, and average them. It is uh, in that article, you short piece I wrote, I referred referred to it as a verbalizing adding machine. It basically adds, uh, averages, uh, and then gives you an opinion uh, as a very, in a very solemn uh, uh, proclamation uh, of a view uh, that sounds all too authentic, all too uh, uh, authoritative as a matter of fact. It gives it a touch of this uh, uh, academic uh, neutrality. But really speaking, whenever I... Uh, look the same way as we do a Google search. We, we persist. We keep changing the search wordings. You know, when, when we don't get the right hit, we, we use words like criticism or controversy. You know, we add, uh, add certain adjectives to force the search engine to look for a contrarian view. Um, now, if you take it into chat GPT, you don't exactly do that. You can actually ask very bluntly. You know, you can even ask, are you telling me a lie? You know, but when you try those those uh, blunt questions, uh, not so subtle even, it doesn't lose its cool. It is programmed in such a way that it is the vice professor uh, indulging a very uh, rebellious student. And that's exactly what we are doing. But at the fundamental level <coughs> of aggregating, evening out, smoothing out uh, a, a large populist view or a majority view, there isn't much difference between a Google modified or uh, a search engine like Google uh, or even Bing or any of the mainstream search engines like Yahoo 
uh, and between chat gpt and its uh, peers uh, there are other other ones like that and they are basically doing the same thing uh, it is these are the same algorithms tuned to uh, basically uh, intellectualize uh, an otherwise bland search where you had to go to each individual source to discover the storyline is the same whereas here you don't get the storylines uh, individually you get one collective storyline and one of the most frustrating things uh, i ended up in a couple of arguments with chat gpt and i prodded it for its sources i mean where did you get it basically refused to say that's not my job to tell you what's the source i don't have the access there are millions of sources out there so you basically have a, uh, an entity if you will uh, hiding behind first a mass secondly uh, hiding behind anonymity uh, so you cannot pinpoint and ask it hey, who told you that you can't you can't nail it down Mm-hmm. so you are faced with a very blunt kind of uh, instrument over here a very elegant instrument but it is still a very blunt cudgel to beat you on the head with and you just don't know that you are getting beaten and that's the beauty of it yes beautifully put why not josh middlebrook is trying to join us so i think we're going to have to finish this recording and uh, add a second interview this time featuring Josh Biddlebrook so thank you very much Josh thank you money first half of this thank interview you, and now we'll move on to the second half with Josh Middlebrook welcome back to part 2 of today's truth jihad audio visual interview with KB Ramani the former united nations economist and uh, truth teller and another uh, truth teller and favorite truth jihad radio guest Josh Middlebrook who is now here uh and he's interested in the same topics which is why he published KB Romani's article on generative AI. So, hey, welcome Josh. How are you? Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks All sorry right. for the confusion. Great to have you. So so I guess you've known uh Mr. Romani for quite some time and maybe you could just tell us briefly how you met him and then why you chose to publish this excellent article on AI. Oh, I could go into deep history. Back in 2005, I my eyes were open to election corruption and I was writing about this theft of the 2004 election. Very few mainstream outlets would touch this subject. And a local guy, um Rob Call published uh, a rag called Op-ed News, an, an internet publication. and he was eager for this and he published my stuff about um election theft for which i was grateful i rose up in the ranks of op-ed news eventually became um an editor a senior editor there and romani also was writing for op-ed news uh i wrote close to 1000 articles i think for op-ed news over a period of more than a decade and uh i started writing about covid in 2020 and that was further from the mainstream than rob was willing to go and he first kicked me off the editorial board and then vanquished me from publishing anything on op-ed news mm-hmm. so uh i know romani from many, many years of having interesting exchanges 
uh, around what he published and what I published on that website. Okay. Well, I've read, I think I've read some of both of your stuff on that bad dudes actually over the years. I published there some, uh, 2005 to 2007 ish. Uh, well, this particular article I thought was, was really an excellent summary of this obvious flaw in generative AI that if you, if you know a lot about a subject where the mainstream is wrong, uh, you argue with generative AI and you realize that it isn't particularly intelligent. Uh, <laughs> so maybe you, you could uh, t- give us your take on that thesis of Romani's excellent article. Oh, I've... Well, computers are buggy and the bigger and more complicated the algorithm, the more uh, apt it is to have these central bugs that show up in um, crazy places. They make mistakes that no human would ever make. And yet they do things that no human could ever do. So I'm at once an enthusiast for uh, AI and also a skeptic of AI. So there are two problems. One is that they don't think the way we think. And they make mistakes we would never make. For example, um, there are fewer sort of lapse of attention kinds of in in automatic driven vehicles and uh, vehicles that are uh, driven completely by AI with no human driver. They don't make the kind of mistakes we make where you your attention is caught by a, a phone or you're looking down or you're distracted by something and you just don't see what's in front of you. And humans make terrible mistakes that way. But they make mistakes that we don't ever make. For example, there was a situation filmed on uh, uh, on uh, I think it was on uh, Google where um, a piece of paper flew up in front of uh, a car, the car stopped suddenly, not recognizing it was a piece of paper rather than a human, and causing an accident. That the uh, the AI-driven car caused an accident for making a mistake no human would ever make. Um, so it's different. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe cars driven by AIs will be safer than human cars someday. I I think they're headed in that direction, but it's not true at present. There was a funny article just uh, two weeks ago that I saw about coning. This is a new word for me, coning. Uh, There are taxis, uh, driverless taxis around San Francisco now. And there are people who don't like this. And what they've learned is if you take one of these construction cones, these orange cones that appear on construction sites, and you put it on the roof of a driverless vehicle, the driverless vehicle just doesn't know what to do. It stops dead. Its software is uh, permanently damaged, and it has to be completely reprogrammed because uh, because of this cone. And people have figured this out, and they put cones on the hoods of driverless vehicles. That's hilarious. Uh, I, wonder I thought so. 
Tell you, it sounds like something Zippy the Pinhead, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> local San Francisco cartoon characters, would have done. Uh, he actually had a bit of a cone or a pin on his head. Uh, but that's a classic sort of example of that prankster spirit that I loved so much back when I lived in San Francisco. So I'm glad there's still some of them alive. Uh, getting back to, though, to the, the issue of the generative AI and the chatbots. Uh, so, um, Josh, have you noticed what, what KB Ramani wrote about? And what uh, Dr. Malone wrote about in his Substack, in which he described a conversation with generative AI. I believe it was about, I think that was the one that was about uh, elite depopulation agendas. And he presented a quote from a, I believe it was uh, a, like a Rockefeller Institute document, some sort of official document in which uh, the need for reducing the Earth's population was put in very stark terms. And the AI chatbot uh, repeatedly tried to deny that this was an authentic quote. But by asking over and over and over, finally, um, the, I think it was Dr. Malone, won the argument, and the AI chatbot <laughs> admitted that this was, in fact, an authentic quote. And I've had exactly that same experience uh, as have many other people. In other words, it lies and supports the mainstream narrative. And then you say, are you sure? And maybe then it might actually quickly say, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, you're right. I was wrong. Uh, or it might take a couple of more prompts, but eventually you can actually win the argument with it. Uh, but uh, have you had any of those kinds of experiences? And do you agree that it's extremely flawed in terms of getting at the truth because it's simply repeating majority opinion or, or establishment consensus. Well, I've talked the, for the last several minutes about one problem with AI, which is kind of a bug that it, it's very hard to get common sense into these things. But there's another part, which is a feature. Who programs them? Who pays for this and who puts them out there? And what are the biases that they put into ChatGPT uh, essentially on purpose because they're manipulating the public narrative? And that's a whole separate issue from the fact that these things are smart and stupid at the same time because of the way that they work. They have built-in biases because of who programmed them and who paid for them. And, and yes, I've I've... Notice the same thing. Um, I think I sent you when we when we were setting that up this interview a brief exchange with ChatGPT. I asked, "What are the if you were making an argument that COVID virus came from a laboratory? What are the best arguments that you could put forward?" And ChatGPT said, "This is a conspiracy. There are no credible arguments that can be made. COVID did not come from a laboratory." Very convincingly. Uh, saying that uh, peremptorily without recognizing any of the evidence that I was already, it said, well, I might be wrong, ChatGPT said, because of stuff published since 2021. You know, my database was cut off at 2021. And I didn't take the trouble to argue with ChatGPT, but in April 2020, I was already citing the evidence that COVID came from a laboratory. So it was out there on the internet if that was part of the training material used for ChatGPT. And we can tell from the way it responds that the training material for ChatGPT was uh, deliberately um, limited to the mainstream narrative. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so, Romani, uh, do, you, do you think that if Josh had continued to prod and pry, he might have gotten somewhere uh, in getting uh, ChatGPT to revise its view that the uh, lab origin uh, hypothesis is more than a flaky conspiracy theory? Uh, let me uh, take a couple of minutes first to say how uh, delighted I am to actually see Josh uh, for the first time. As he mentioned, we we came together virtually mainly via the uh, publication he mentioned of it news. And uh, I feel privileged actually to read uh, his prolific writings uh, on uh, his range is astonishing for a physicist uh, at the core. He has such diverse views and he thinks very, very deep uh, uh, that's what fascinates me about uh, Josh's uh, intellect, uh, that here is a person uh, I could not just admire uh, for his prose, uh, but for the for the inquisitiveness uh, of the mind. It is uh, ultimately, when you take curiosity out of a human being, uh, you stop learning. You, you, you basically uh, flounder at, at some self-created barrier that you can progress no more. And jumping from that, I would say that is the kind of conditioning we are being now uh, subjected to in almost everything like your own uh, initial venture, the 9-11, the truth about 9-11 and the latest folks being the COVID narrative. Everywhere we turn, we are presented with limits to knowledge expansion that there is a certain prescribed barrier. It is like a fence, like the Israeli fence uh, uh, closing in on the Palestinians uh, or the infamous uh, uh, American friend uh, wall uh, with Mexico. Uh, You basically are being presented with barriers that did not exist to knowledge earlier. You are free to question, free to think, uh, free to uh, basically crash through boundaries and say, look, uh, this is not the end. You keep pushing the envelope. Uh, And it is that sustained attempt now to create not just an envelope, but basically an iron fence. I would say the the most uh, daunting phenomenon of our times is this creating of an iron curtain at the intellectual level. It is not about visas. It is not about transport and communication. Uh, it is all of it and in a way uh, 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 an amalgam, a composite monstrosity that prevents you from exploring using your God-given curiosity. And that is where uh, uh, if knowledge stops, uh, I would say in my personal opinion, because I was uh, mostly specializing in energy, Inevitably, I have to take in the environmental implications of energy. Uh, And that is how I came frontally against the global warming uh, narrative. And then I realized uh, there's something called consensus science developed. At one point of time, about 10 or 15 years ago, I really wanted to see uh, who are these people, scientists, who represent this so-called ironclad consensus against which you can't do anything else. Well, uh, it turns out 
more than uh, something like about 75% of them were in North America and around the world globally. And out of that, uh, something like about the vast majority of that 75% was in California. So, which is the most woke state in the U.S. right now, <laughs> where uh, virtually everything that could go warped with humanity's uh, independence, individuality, <laughs> is being orchestrated from California. So that is how I I was stunned. You know, I, I thought, you know, yes, I have met a lot of people. Uh, I was once sent to the uh, UNEP uh, center at Riso. Uh, uh, in Copenhagen, somewhere near Copenhagen, Denmark. And then I realized, uh, I was talking to a a scientist there, and I was expressing a skeptical view. How come you are so sure of it? And uh, he basically said, hush, don't say these things. You know, he actually warned me. I said, look, I'm an evaluator. I'm not an employee like you. Uh, I can say whatever (laughs) I want. And so naturally, my evaluation carried that skeptical note of mine and I never got another assignment uh, to evaluate that center again. But this is how we are now programmed. When you come back to chat GPT, uh, generative artificial intelligence, we are now seeing in a way the latest culmination uh, of uh, consensus science, uh, a new barrier to humankind's curiosity to explore. This is what makes us drive. Without that drive, there is no progress to anything. We are being conditioned that, look, you're all lay people, you're all stupid, and if there is any advancement, we will do it for you, an unknown poor elite with their, with their apparatchiks and apparatus of research, they will do it for us. So we are basically, the vast majority of humanity is being pushed aside and say, look, this is not your job to think. Uh, and that, I think, is where the core of my uh, misgiving as well as my fear for the future of artificial intelligence at large. But I would like to conclude this piece by simply endorsing what Josh said uh, and what I told you also earlier, uh, Kevin, that uh, I have great hope with artificial intelligence as well. It has phenomenal, astonishing possibilities to advance our uh, I mean, I don't see how we are going to even think of colonizing space without some kind of artificial intelligence. I mean, I mean, it's so clear, the speed barriers, the distances, uh, our limited time spans uh, of our own existence. These are all barriers that could only be overcome with the help of some form of uh, artificial intelligence and uh, robotic devices. So... Uh, uh, if if we want to go out of the earth, uh, I don't see how we can do it on our own. But this is our creation. And the distinction between creator and creation is being blurred deliberately. This, I think, is our biggest danger. Well, that's fascinating, uh, Romani. Uh, and it also adds a lot to the picture that the readers of your article may have developed. I, my t- take on it was I expected you to be a generalized AI skeptic, and it turns out that that's uh, absolutely not the case. Well, Josh, you're an expert on uh, to many things, actually. You break down those barriers that Ramani was talking about in so many ways. 
you talk about just about everything I talk about on the radio show and have something interesting to say about all of those things, often in great depth, but your, your foundational area is evolutionary biology. It occurs to me that evolutionary biology, especially in your view, which I think is correct, has imbued uh, species with and ecosystems, uh, that is, the, these biological systems have an ability to limit themselves, that is, unlike uh, a purely Darwinian uh, entity programmed to create more and more and more copies of itself and turn, turn all available matter and energy into copies of itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> instead, uh, these wonderful biological systems know not to do that somehow, and they limit themselves. And this is a key to your insights into things like aging, um, the recent reasons for sexual reproduction, and things like that. Uh, and, and all of that strikes me as brilliant and highly plausible. But with AI, I wonder whether we're not facing a problem. Uh, and I'm not the first to wonder this, right? Bill Joy, I think in, in his article, uh, that the future doesn't need us, pointed out, and so many others have pointed out as well, that AI could easily head towards some sort of a classically Darwinian entity that turn, tries to turn everything into copies of itself. And of course, that's related to the, the problem that if you give AI uh, a purpose, it will perhaps run roughshod over everything else in pursuit of that purpose. So I'm wondering if you think that AI could ever, whether it could itself develop or have its programmers put into it some kind of self-limiting ability like the like biological organisms have because if not um ai would seem to be not such dangerous but almost <laughs> just a suicidal thing to even develop wow there, there are so many directions i want to take this and you'll guide the conversation in a direction that you think is most fruitful I'll, I'll say a few things and then uh open it up to romani so it's not a limitation. We are evolved uh, to be not just selfish entities. The idea of selfishness as separation and selfishness is just part of capitalism. It's part of the Western culture during the last 150 years, uh, what Charles Eisenstein calls the age of separation. And it's served its purpose and uh, overreached what can be done with it. We're also evolved to be deeply communal. We're evolved to love life in all of its forms and to participate in ecosystems. Um, and that has been missed by the evolutionary establishment. And that, that's part of my contribution to um, debunk the selfish gene version of evolution and say evolution is much more than selfish genes. We're evolved as ecosystems as well as selfish individuals propagating our own kind. Um, you can imagine that a AI is going to be programmed just to be completely selfish and Maybe you're going to program it that way. You can program the AI to have whatever goals that you want to put into it. And I distrust the people who are programming the AIs, and, and that's the danger. It's not that AI is dangerous. It's that the people programming the AIs have this uh, separation, the selfishness as a core 
of their beliefs about how the world works. Uh, so I, I've transcended evolutionary theory somewhat. And I, I don't talk about this in my academic work because I, I'm at the fringe enough. But I, I believe that uh, evolution is not the whole story, that we are spiritual beings as well as evolved beings. And I believe that um, computers don't have that spiritual element. It's not just spiritual, it's um, parapsychological as well. We communicate by telepathy. We have intuitions about what the future will bring that don't come from our senses. And AIs don't have that. They don't have common sense in part because they don't have premonitions of the future. They don't have extrasensory perception. They don't have telepathy. Um, and I guess I. this is one of the areas in which Romani and I have connected because I come to this from a scientific perspective. I see evidence from quantum physics and from evolutionary biology that points me in a direction that says human beings are more than um, self-reproducing machines. And Romani has that perspective, and he also has this multi-thousand-year tradition of Indian philosophy, which I think is uh, an interesting guide to uh, it, it's another way to look at what's going on now. And I just want to invite him. Uh, Romani, if if you're uh, available for this, um, perhaps you can give us a, a, a perspective on where we are in human civilization now that comes from the ancient wisdom traditions that you know so much about. I can't claim to know a lot. Uh, all I would say is... Uh... Certain things in life seep into you, Josh. Uh, you, like music, you absorb music. Uh, if you are a good musician or you are a good listener or a fan of good music, uh, you do not technically analyze it. You absorb it. You, music is something like uh, food for the soul. Uh, if good music touches you in places that uh, are beyond your uh, sensory perceptions, uh, at least the five senses that we, we are all associated with. Uh, faith uh, is another such thing. Philosophy is another such thing. It is constantly being fed by a stream of information. A uh, lot of it is absorbed by our senses, the five senses. Some of it penetrates deep down uh, in what I can only call the sixth uh, sixth sense. It is in that context uh, I admire Hindu uh, or ancient Indian philosophy. I was, uh, I told uh, uh, Kevin a while ago, uh, before you joined us, that uh, Vedic philosophy of ancient India predates Hinduism as a religion, as an agnostic. Although I was born in an Orthodox Brahmin family as a Hindu, I came away from it very early, very early on in my teens. And uh, my, um, uh, I am intrigued that if you, if I really go back in time and look at the Vedic text, they talk both about creation and evolution simultaneously. 
And that uh, is a very fascinating uh, lesson for me simply because I do not think we, Homo sapiens, uh, were we evolved. We were created. But a lot of life in on Earth has evolved biologically. Uh, there the law of the jungle has worked, the survival of the fittest species, uh, so on and so forth, Darwinian uh, evolution applies. But uh, there is a gap uh, when it comes to Homo sapiens. If we have evolved, then why are we living alongside uh, our ancestors? Why do we still have chimpanzees around? Why do we still have apes around? I mean, once a superior species uh, has emerged, the inferior species fades away. We do not have that. And that, to me, is the most implausible uh, uh, rationale for human beings being products of evolution. Now, if you look at Hindu, uh, the ancient Indian philosophy, creation is mentioned very clearly that Brahma uh, was the creator among the trinity of gods. And uh, similar to the Adam and Eve story, his consort and wife, Saraswati. Saraswati is a goddess uh, of knowledge uh, in India. Uh, and she came uh, on a lotus that came from his, uh, grew from Brahma's umbilical cord. It is very similar to Eve being created out of, by taking one rib out of Adam. Uh, that man came first, the biological man, whom in Hindu philosophy we call Purusha. Uh, and then the female part emerge from that, it is the Shakti. Shakti is power, energy. So the philosophy is that uh, all the matter that exists in the universe, all of it, uh, the black, the dark energy, dark matter, black energy, whatever you want, uh, matter, antimatter, uh, everything is symbolized by Purusha, the male force of creation. But it is a dormant thing. It is the female uh, component that activates Shakti. That is how the male-female harmony, uh, the symbiosis, is required for the act of creation or procreation in every aspect of life. This is the most fascinating part of uh, uh, ancient Hindu philosophy. So, coming back uh, uh, to... A little more specific. When, Josh, you talk about uh, the hopes and uh, certain uh, apprehensions uh, about the motives of the creators of today's emerging artificial intelligence, uh, what strikes me is that is, is something which I have written a partial draft about, uh, but I haven't quite uh, shared it with you because I haven't completed it. If when we look at the evils and as well as the good, exciting possibilities of artificial intelligence, what comes to my mind is we are looking at ourselves. In my uh, speculative view, we are the we are artificial intelligence. We are the created artificial intelligence of a superior species in our distant past. Look at us. We have good people among us. We have evil people among us. At the moment, uh, one of them is prevailing over the others. But these are characteristics inborn into us. Perhaps they mirror, I, 
there is a very fascinating non-fiction work uh, by Isaac Asimov, uh, Science Meets God in the book of the Genesis. It takes the Bible, biblical book of the Genesis and it takes it verse by verse. And he offers a religious, orthodox, biblical perspective. And he also side by side juxtaposes the scientific explanation for it. Uh, and you can see that uh, there are on a lot of things, the literal statements of the Bible in the book of the Gen- book of Genesis have been misty, you know, basically elevated to the point of uh, uh, an interpretation which is which smacks of uh, mysticism. Uh, but if you really look at the literal meaning. Uh, and he specifically comes to this part, God made man in his image. Now you take it literally. You are a superior species, let's assume, billion years ago. And uh, you wanted to create artificial intelligence just the way we are doing right now. We start with uh, small things, narrow artificial intelligence. We are aiming now for general artificial intelligence. We create programs like chat GPT, self-autonomous cars, so on and so forth. But where does it end? We would like it to end the way we are as creators. The creator and the creation, the, the, the greatest aspiration for a creator is to make something resembling oneself. That Because you consider yourself the fittest, the highest form of existence. If a superior species had done that to us, now, if you wanted to now experiment on an unoccupied planet like Earth, now if you wanted to create metallic robots, and I mean, the way we are now, we are at a very primitive stage of development in artificial intelligence and robotics. You know, can you imagine us reproducing, replicating artificial intelligence on a barren planet? What would we require? We require mineral resources. We require an extraordinary industrial infrastructure to produce every component that makes kinetics associated with artificial intelligence, the intellect as well as physical ability to move objects. What would you do? You would create uh, the, the investment and the task would be so enormous that you would simply give up because before you can even get to creating a replica of yourself, You'll have to create a vast infrastructure of technology, industrial activity, mining, exploration, fuels, energy. You have to think of so many things. What if you did that uh, as a biological artificial intelligence? We have neural networks which are still superior to the electronic uh, intelligence that artificial intelligence has, computers have. And they are now trying to mimic neural neural uh, uh, technology. We are probably, uh, no one can be certain about this, we are no, no more certain about the far past as than we are certain about the far future. But if you simply throw your mind uh, back to the past, and we were created as a self-sustaining artificial intelligence of another species, we could hunt over time, our existence here, according to anthropology, is just less than half a million years old. Homo sapiens evolved about 500,000 years ago, maybe even less. In this 500,000 blink of an eye moment by universal time, look how far we have come. If you were planted as primitive 
cavemen. Look where you and I and we are sitting together here having this conversation. Uh, isn't it fascinating how self-sustaining artificial intelligence could be if that was how its original creators were? So when you draw the parallels to today's artificial intelligence and ourselves as human beings, we are the future we are trying to recreate with all our flaws, with all our limitations, all our hopes, aspirations, and noble things in ourselves as a, as beings. But ultimately, uh, today's artificial intelligence will not evolve into the perfect artificial intelligence any more than we have been able to evolve into the perfect noble persons. It's a very interesting perspective. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I wonder about the, you mentioned, actually both of you touched on the fact that part of the issue is that the programmers of artificial intelligence, the people building it, uh, have their built-in flaws and that humans include both good and bad people and that those who accumulate enough wealth and power to be in a position to influence the building of things like artificial intelligence and other technologies may not be the kindest and gentlest of human beings. <laughs> Uh, yes. Zachariah Sitchin has written a, a whole series of books uh, hypothesizing the creation of humans uh, by some sort of extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional, I guess in his case, extraterrestrial entity. Uh, he also, uh, along the lines of what you were saying, Romani, uh, hypothesized this uh, creation of humans in a way recorded by the Bible. Now, my interpretation of reading, and when I read his works and those of his interpreters, it occurs to me that these extraterrestrials that he's describing were constantly fighting wars based on ego are not really very enlightened beings, to say the least. Um, and so the problem of the evil among us having the power to create these technologies seems to me to, to be a really serious one. And Josh, your latest uh Substack, as I recall, the last thing I recall seeing from you in my email box was uh, a kind of horrified uh, look at these theories of sort of a, a hyper-predatory elite uh, you know, feeding on the horrific child abuse and things like that, the kind of stuff that the QAnon theorists have talked about in a kind of an irresponsible and factually wrong way doesn't mean that there isn't some uh, truth to the possibility that uh, there is an element of the earthly elite today that is systematically carrying out these kinds of extremely uh, evil uh, activities as perhaps some kind of psychopathic initiation to their club or what have you. So Josh, maybe you could pick up on that thought that the maybe the biggest problem with the creation of things like AI is that we have uh, a lot of, we have powerful people who are involved in the creation of it who are far from good and trustworthy. Where do I begin? <laughs> yeah, so, right. <laughs> a, a theme that I keep coming back to, I, I think we need to bring a lot of us together to figure out what is going on. There's clearly an attack on humanity that's taking many forms. Uh, in the COVID deception, it was right in our face. But there are so many other aspects of it, attacks on our food system, the school shootings, which seem to be to have some coordinated element to them, MKUltra, mind control, 
people used to assassinate presidents and probably do a lot of other things that we don't hear about, maybe school shootings, um, spraying the skies with chemicals that uh, seem to be part of manipulating weather, not in order to create rainfall for the crops and to keep our cities safe from floods, but to do the opposite, to direct hurricanes toward populated areas, to uh, create drought conditions in just the areas where most of the agriculture uh, is concentrated and where humanity depends for its food. Um, there seem to be attacks on humanity and it's an urgent task for us to figure out who is doing this, but more important, what is their goal? How can we understand what's happening to us and bring us ourselves together as a species so that we can, uh, uh, I mean, there are a lot of us, there are a few of them that, that we can uh, oppose the, these attacks on humanity. Uh, clearly, a big part of the attacks on humanity is pollution of the information systems. They can't do what they do if we know about it. So there's confusion sowed, and there's also uh, a, a great deal of the big lie. Uh, the, the mainstream media all as one coming together and saying there's this horrible new virus, and the only solution to it is a vaccine and don't believe what your doctor says. Believe what the CDC says instead and sit home and uh, wait for a vaccine. But by all means, don't talk to your friends. Don't get together with your church or your uh, the groups that you used to go to concerts and theater with. Ne never do your own research. Yeah, <laughs> doing your own research is, is now uh, cons considered to be suspect. So... Um, where am I going with this? Who are the entities that are doing this? Uh, one one place to look is, as as you said, there are there's a huge pedophilia ring around the world, explored by Whitney Webb better than anybody else, who wrote this huge two volume uh, document describing the roots of what culminated in the Jeffrey Epstein revelations and go well beyond Epstein to possibly these entities or people who are uh, perpetrating this attack on humanity. One hypothesis is that it's the same uh, people who are uh, connected with pedophilia rings, uh, satanic rituals in which they kill babies, uh, it's not hard to find if you look for it. It's hard to stomach to look at the evidence. I'm um, rec recently acquainted with Aneke, Aneke Lucas, A-N-N-E-K-E-L-U-C-A-S, who was abducted or not abducted, was sold by her uh, mentally ill mother at the age of three into a satanic cult in Belgium and was abused for many years before she miraculously escaped from that cult, healed herself enough to be able to talk about it and to educate the public about 
what's going on. Are these the same people who are controlling our media, perpetrating hoaxes like 9-11 and like um, the COVID deception? It's one one hypothesis. Another way is uh, maybe they're extraterrestrials. Uh, there are stories. I mean, Romani has been uh, coy about well, who are these beings if we are created, if we are, we humans are the creation of another higher intelligence. Is it a spiritual intelligence? Is it an extraterrestrial intelligence? Is it something else from some realm that is between physics and uh, spirituality in a way that we don't even have a, a words to talk about. Uh, what's happening is so strange that I don't throw any of this away as uh, nothing, nothing can be dismissed. And especially in, in light of the hearings in Congress just last month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> apparently there are credible voices that say that extraterrestrials have been mingling among us for a long time, that there are elements of the U.S. military that have reverse engineered this fantastic technology that does faster than light travel, that does um, drawing energy from the vacuum, things that are well beyond the physics as, as we now understand it. Certainly, well, well beyond any physics that I was taught in school, but I'm not dismissing the possibility that such science exists. I just have to say I don't know about it, and I'm interested to see when finally the New York Times and the um, congressional hearings are acknowledging just such a thing. So, so there's a huge story. I mean, I mean the, the the story we've told about we've been told about who we are where we came from, our history, where where scientific progress is going, the limits of science, it's all called into question by what's being what's happening in the last few years and what's unfolding. Uh, I think the the revelations that we will be coming up with will be more than most people can can even take in. Um the big challenge is remain keeping our minds open enough that we can assimilate uh, possibilities that are just beyond anything that we imagined. Well, yeah, we were, we're running up on the limits of time here for the, the podcast, but uh, Ramani, maybe you can comment on some of what Josh said, and he, uh, I don't think he was being hostile and accusing you of being coy about who the creators uh, of humanity are and so on, but maybe you can clarify uh, your views on that, or at least the, the various possibilities as you see them. Thank you, uh, Kevin. You see, this, uh, I don't think pedophilia is, uh, is at the heart of it. No, it's an indulgence. Uh, it, it is a blackmail tool to subvert people who have the most influence uh, in, in the world. Uh, the politicians, uh, the judiciary, uh, scientists even, uh, uh, I mean, where did this consensus science evolve from? Uh, 
a lot of it seems forced. People, there are Nobel laureates today who are contesting the COVID narrative, the climate change narrative, and they are being systematically eliminated from public voice, uh, uh, from the public sphere. Uh, I think pedophilia is just a coercive tool used by the elite, would-be controllers, masters of the universe, so to speak. Um, I would go back to a, cu- a couple of philosophical uh, uh, takes that I have learned uh, in my life uh, at the age of 74, I can say. Uh, it is ultimately all about power to control. What is power? We often decide it, uh, we define it as, you know, wealth, uh, political power, uh, power to influence minds. Uh, it's all of it and none of it, uh, in a way, on its own. If you look at it really, what is the ultimate definition of power for us earthlings, humans? It is the power of life and death over other fellow human beings. That is the ultimate definition of power. Everything else is an instrument leading to that. Wealth, political influence, political power, uh, the power to enact laws, uh, enforce those laws. All of it can be summarized uh, in a very simple statement. Uh, We are aspiring to be gods. We want that power of life and death. We have the power of death. We have always had. It is nothing new. The power to kill someone has always existed with or without artificial intelligence or the mass uh, weapons of mass destruction. It has always existed. What we have lacked is the power to create life. So when you say power of life and death, the power to create life has eluded us throughout our history. We seem to be approaching the threshold of that power, we as a species. And the few who have amassed a lot of power already today, uh, through whatever means, through blackmail uh, as pedophilia or other scandals, uh, through accumulation of wealth, through accumulation accumulation of political power, governance, uh, military power, uh, weapons of uh, mass destruction. All of that uh, has culminated into this situation where artificial intelligence is being viewed as the holy grail of the one great missing element in ultimate power, the power to create life, which we have always lacked. That is where genetics, genetic engineering, the COVID crisis, which is now getting more and more transparent as a power to influence our metabolism uh, our very cellular at a very cellular kind of level that we can fiddle with it we can tinker with it we can create these perfect soldiers these perfect humans uh, eugenics uh, is a huge part of it uh, and it has always been the wet dream of uh, eugenists uh, which are not only prominent personalities in uh, the Western world, also even closer to home, like Lee Kuan Yew, the Prime Minister of Singapore, the late uh, Lee Kuan Yew. They were all ardent champions of uh, eugenics. They always want, Plato was a eugenist in that sense, uh, 
uh, he also spoke about this ruling caste, uh, ruling uh, group of elite people who are virtually the the, the rulers of uh, Ethiopian democracy. So we are looking at a situation where the power to create life seems very close to our grasp. The power to uh, to inflict death has all, has been with us from the time we were cave people. It is the, it is all of this coming together that has created this extraordinary situation. Uh, I mean, isn't it ironical, Josh, uh, that just about a decade ago, when internet censorship became more and more blatant, uh, there are a few reasons uh, given why the government surveillance and control of internet content was required. Uh, one was money laundering. Another was, uh, you know, uh, the sale of weaponry. Uh, and the third reason uh, was basically uh, child pornography. Today, look back, the same politicians who were justifying internet censorship based on child pornography turn out to be the same people who are leading this uh, multicolor rainbow revolution. Having accomplished their mission, it's like a mission accomplished. I mean, they basically justified censorship, government censorship of the internet, and they basically turned switch sides completely the other way. Now they are making it child uh, pornography legal virtually. I mean, today, where where is it going? You can see it, you know, from the LGBTQ and so on and so forth. It's finally leading to basically legitimization of child sex bestiality, virtually every vice that led to Sodom and the annihilation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and Sodom and Gomorrah were obviously, if you look at the Bible literally, were taken out by a nuke. They were basically nuked out. That's how uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we can interpret it. So there is, I don't see a solution to, to this. Evil must run its course just as good must meet its ultimate challenge. Uh, and when you speak about artificial intelligence, the key is not artificial. The key word is intelligence. Intelligence is a common ingredient. It is neutral. It is emotionless. Evil as well as good both require intelligence. Great evil requires great intelligence, just as great good requires great intelligence. It's a raw material. We are basically finding ourselves uh, at some kind of a, a, a turning point in our existence as a species. The same intelligence that generated such great people in our past lives has also generated such evil people in the past as well as in the present. And the present seems to be dominated by the evil. And so it comes back in a circle uh, where the prophecy is correct, uh, that ultimately, uh, the more intelligent we get, the more the opportunities for evil to twist it to its own purposes, ultimately it self-destructs. This is the point we are approaching, whether it is approaching in the next 10 years or in the, by the turn of the century, or maybe we will survive. This is an unknown to me. Uh, 
uh, it is a wide open question. But I would say we are we seem to be hell bent uh, on charging towards that challenge uh, to answer that challenge one way or another, and that is the tragedy of our species. Uh, we have not even and the and uh, a last uh, postscript here before I conclude. Uh, when I refer to a superior intelligence being the author or creator of us as their artificial intelligence, it obviously survived that challenge. Otherwise, it would not have reached that superior state of evolution, maybe a spiritual level of existence where it by itself did not require material existence, but it wanted to start from square A. And it created us so that we could one day evolve into that spiritual being. And that, I think, is the, the message behind God made, you know, man in his own image. Uh, I think, uh, so I would like to end this on that optimistic note that, yes, uh, that obviously survived such challenges. It must have. Otherwise, how would, how did it evolve into that superior being? And uh, And how did we come out of it? So let's say for all our fears and anxieties, uh, at some point of time, the ones, the good part of uh, good applications of intelligence will prevail over the evil applications of intelligence. Thank you. Inshallah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Ramani and Josh Fiddleberg. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. Someday, maybe, inshallah, we can come back and talk about eschatology and uh, the in- here is a man, the Kali Yuga, and all those things. But I think we'll have to leave it here for now. Uh, so all I can say is, is thank you. That was that was wonderful. Uh, please, very pleased to meet you, uh, Ramani. And thank you for introducing us, Josh. Uh, take care. Uh, blessings to both of you. Thank you. Well, thanks to both of you. I'm just delighted to be in touch with you and to have deep conversations like this. Likewise. Okay. Bye-bye.